Section 2 of the Achilleid by Statius, translated by J. H. Mosley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 1, Part 2. But far away, Deidomia and she alone had learnt in stolen secrecy the manhood of the Aesides that lay hid beneath the show of a faint sex. Conscious of guilt concealed, there's not she does not fear and thinks that her sisters know, but hold their peace. For when Achilles, rough as he was, stood amid the maiden company, and the departure of his mother rid him of his artless bashfulness, straightway, although the whole band gathers round him, he chose her as his comrade, and assails with new and winning wiles her unsuspecting innocence. Her he follows, and persistently possess. Toward her he ever and again directs his gaze. Now too zealously he clings to her side, nor does she avoid him. Now he pelts her with light garlands, now with baskets that let their burden fall, now with the thyrsus that harms her not, or again he shows her the sweet strings of the lyre he knows so well, and the gentle measures and songs of Chiron's teaching and guides her hand, and makes her fingers strike the sounding harp. Now, as she sings, he makes a conquest of her lips, and binds her in his embrace, and praises her amid a thousand kisses. With pleasure does she learn of Pelion's summit, and of Iacides, and hearing the name and exploits of the youth, is spellbound in constant wonder, and sings of Achilles, in his very presence. She, in her turn, teaches him to move his strong limbs with more modest grace, and to spin out the unwrought wool by rubbing with his thumb, and repairs the distaff and the skeins that his rough hand has damaged. She marvels at the deep tones of his voice, how he shuns all her fellows and pierces her with too attentive gaze, and at all times hangs breathless on her words, and now he prepares to reveal the fraud, but she, like a fickle girl, avoids him, and will not allow him to confess. Even so, beneath his mother Rhea's rule, the young prince of Olympus gave treacherous kisses to his sister. He was still her brother, and she thought no harm, until the reverence for their common blood gave way and the sister feared a lover's passion. At length the timorous narrate's cunning was laid bare. There stood a lofty grove, seen of the rites of Agenorian Bacchus, a grove that reached to heaven. Within its shade the pious matrons were wont to renew the recurrent three-yearly festival, and to bring torn animals of the herd and uprooted saplings, and to offer to the god the frenzy wherein he took delight. The law bade males keep far away. The reverend monarch repeats the command, and makes proclamation that no man may draw nigh the sacred haunt. Nor is that enough. A venerable priestess stands at the appointed limit, and scans the approaches, lest any defiler come near in the train of women. Achilles laughed silently to himself. His comrades wonder at him, as he leads the band of virgins, and moves his mighty arms with awkward motion, 
his own sex and his mother's counterfeit alike become him no more is daedamia the fairest of her company and as she surpasses her own sisters so does she herself own defeat compared with proud Iacides. but when he let the fawn-skin hang from his shapely neck and with ivy gathered up its flowing folds and bound the purple fillet high upon his flaxen temples and with powerful hand made the unwreathed missile quiver the crowd stood awestruck and leaving the sacred rites are fain to throng about him uplifting their bowed heads to gaze even so Elias, what time he has relaxed at thebes his martial spirit and frowning brow and sated his soul with the luxury of his native land takes chaplet and mitre from his locks and arms the green thyrsus for the fray and in more martial guise sets out to meet his indian foes the moon in her rosy chariot was clinging to the height of mid-heaven when drowsy sleep glided down with full sweep of his pinions to earth and gathered a silent world to his embrace the choirs reposed the stricken bronze awhile was mute when achilles parted in solitude from the virgin train thus spoke with himself how long wilt thou endure the precepts of thy anxious mother and waste the first flower of thy manhood in this soft imprisonment no weapons of war mayst thou brandish no beasts mayst thou pursue ho oh, for the plains and valleys of hemonia lookest thou in vain spurtias for my swimming and for my promised tresses or hast thou no regard for the foster child that has deserted thee am i already spoken of as born to the stygian shades afar and does chiron in solitude bewail my death thou o patroclus now does aim my darts dost ban my bow and mount the team that was nourished for me but i have learned to fling wide my arms as i grasp the vine ones and to spin the distaff thread ha shame and vexation to confess it nay more night and day thou dost dissemble the love that holds thee and thy passion for the maid of equal ears how long wilt thou conceal the wound that galls thy heart nor even in love for shame prove thy own manhood so he speaks and in the thick darkness of the night rejoicing that the unstirring silence gives timely aid to his secret deeds he gains by force his desire and with all his vigour strains her in a real embrace the whole choir of stars beheld from on high and the horns of the young moon blushed red she indeed filled the grove and mountain with her cries but the train of bacchus dispelling slumber's cloud deemed it the signal for the dance on every side the familiar shout arises and achilles once more brandishes the thyrsus yet first with friendly speech he solaces the anxious maid i am he why fearest thou whom my cerulean mother bore well nigh to jove and sent to find my nurture in the woods and snows of thessaly nor had i endured this dress and shameful garb had i not seen thee on the seashore twas for thee i did submit for thee i carry skeins and bear the womanly timbrel 
why dost thou weep who art made daughter-in-law of mighty ocean why dost thou moan who shall bear valiant grandsons to olympus but thy father cyrus shall be destroyed by fire and sword and these walls shall be in ruins and the sport of wanton winds ere thou pay my cruel death for my embraces not so utterly am i subject to my mother horror-struck was the princess at such dark happenings albeit long since she had suspected his good faith and shuddered at his presence and his countenance was changed as he made confession what is she to do shall she bear the tale of her misfortune to her father and ruin both herself and her lover who perchance would suffer untimely death and still there abode within her breast the love so long deceived silent is she in her grief and dissembles the crime that both now share alike her nurse alone she resolves to make a partner in the seat and she yielding to the prayers of both assents with secret cunning she conceals the rape and the swelling wound and the burden of the months of ailing till lucina brought round by token the appointed season her course now fully run and gave deliverance of her child and now the laertian bark was threading the winding ways of the aegean while the breezes changed one for another the countless cyclades already paris and olieras are hid now they skirt lofty lemnos and behind them bacchic nexus is lost to view while samus grows before them now delus darkens the deep and there from the tall stern they pour cups of libation and pray that the oracle be true and calchas undeceived the wielder of the bow heard them and from the top of synthus sent a zephyr flying and gave the doubting ones the good omen of a bellying sail the ship sails o'er the sea untroubled for the thunderer's high commands suffered not thetis to overturn the sure decrees of fate faint as she was with tears and foreboding much because she could not excite the main and straightway pursue the hated ulysses with all her winds and waves already phoebus stooping low upon the verge of olympus was sending forth broken rays and promising to his panting steeds the yielding shore of ocean when rocky cyrus rose aloft the laertian chieftain from the stern let out all sail to make it and bade his crew resume the deep and with their oars supply the failing zephyrs nearer they draw and more undoubtedly more surely was it cyrus and tritonia above the guardian of the tranquil shore they disembark and venerate the power of the friendly goddess aetolian and ithacan alike then the prudent hero lest they should frighten the hospitable walls with sudden throng bids his crew remain upon the ship he himself with trusty diomede ascends the heights but already abbas keeper of the coastal tower had gone before them and given tidings to the king that unknown sails though greek were drawing nigh to land forward they go like two wolves leagued together on a winter's night though their cubs hunger and their own assails them yet do they utterly dissemble ravening rage and go slinking on their way 
lest the alertness of dogs announce a foe and warn the anxious herdsmen to keep vigil so with slow pace the heroes move and with mutual converse tread the open plain that lies between the harbour and the high citadel first king tydides speaks by what means now are we preparing to search out the truth for in perplexity of mine have i long been pondering why thou didst buy those unwarlike wands and symbols in the city marts and didst bring hither bacchic hides and turbans and fawn-skins decked with patterns of gold is it with these thou wilt arm achilles to be the doom of priam and the phrygians to him with a smile and somewhat less stern of look the ithacan replied these things i tell thee if only he be lurking among the maidens in lycomedes palace shall draw the son of peleus to the fight hey self-confessed remember thou to bring them all quickly from the ship when it is time and to join to these gifts a shield that is beautiful with carving and rough with work of gold this spear will suffice let the good trumpeter agertus be with thee and let him bring a hidden bugle for a secret purpose he spoke and spied the king in the very threshold of the gate and displaying the olive first announced his peaceful purpose loud report i ween hath long since reached thy ears o gentle monarch of that fierce war which now is shaking both europe and asia if perchance the chieftain's names have been borne hither in whom the avenging son of atreus trusts here beholdest thou him whom great-hearted tydeus begot mightier even than so great a sire and i am ulysses the ithacan chief the cause of our voyage for why should i fear to confess all to thee who art a greek and of all men most renowned by sure report is to spy out the approaches to troy and her hated shores and what their schemes may be ere he had finished the other broke in upon him may fortune assist thee i pray and propitious gods prosper that enterprise now honour my roof and pious home by being my guests therewith he leads them within the gate straightway numerous attendants prepare the couches and the tables meanwhile ulysses scans and searches the palace with his gaze if anywhere he can find trace of a tall maiden or a face suspect for its doubtful features uncertainly he wanders idly in the galleries and as though in wonder roams the whole house through just as yon hunter having come upon his preys and doubted haunts scours the fields with his silent molotian hound till he beholds his foe stretched out in slumber beneath the leaves and his jaws resting on the turf long since has a rumour been noised throughout the secret chamber where the maidens had their safe abode that pelasgian chiefs are come and a grecian ship and its mariners have been made welcome with good reason are the rest affrighted but pallides scarce conceals his sudden joy and eagerly desires even as he is to see the newly arrived heroes and their arms already the noise of princely trains fills the palace and the guests are reclining on gold embroidered couches when at their sire's command his daughters and their chaste companions join the banquet they approach 
like unto Amazons on the Maotid shore, when, having made plunder of Scythian homesteads and captured strongholds of the Jetae, they lay aside their arms and feast. Then, indeed, does Ulysses, with intent gaze, ponder carefully, both forms and features, but night and the lamps that are brought in deceive him, and their stature is hidden as soon as they recline. One, nevertheless, with head erect and wandering gaze, one who preserves no sign of virgin modesty, he marks, and with sidelong glance points out to his companion. But if Deidamia, to warn the hasty youth, had not clasped him to her soft bosom, and ever covered with her own robe his bare breast and naked arms and shoulders, and many a time forbidden him to start up from the couch and ask for wine, and replace the golden hairband on his brow, Achilles had even then been revealed to the Argive chieftains. When hunger was assuaged, and the banquet had twice and three times been renewed, the monarch first addresses the Achaeans, and pledges them with the wine-cup. Ye famous heroes of the Argolic race, I envy, I confess, your enterprise. Would that I too were of more valiant years, as when I utterly subdued the Delopes who attacked the shores of Cyrus, and shattered on the sea those keels that ye beheld on the forefront of my lofty walls, tokens of my triumph. At least, if I had offspring that I would send to war, but now ye see for yourselves my feeble strength and my dear children. Ha! When will these numerous daughters give me grandsons? He spoke, and seizing the moment, crafty Ulysses made reply, Worthy indeed is the object of thy desire, for who would not burn to see the countless peoples of the world and various chieftains and princes with their trains? All the might and glory of powerful Europe hath sworn together willing allegiance to a righteous arms. Cities and fields alike are empty. We have spoiled the lofty mountains. The whole sea lies hidden beneath the far-spread shadow of our sails. Fathers give weapons. Youth snatch them, and are gone beyond recall. Never was offered to the brave such an opportunity for high renown. Never had valor so wide a field of exercise." He sees him all attentive, and drinking in his words with vigilant ear, though the rest are alarmed, and turn aside their downcast eyes. And he repeats, Whoever hath pride of race and ancestry, whoever hath sure javelin and valiant steed, or skill of bow, all honor there awaits him. There is the strife of mighty names. Scarce do timorous mothers hold back, or troops of maids. Ha! doomed to barren ears, and hated of the gods, is he whom this new chance of glory passes by in idle sloth. Up from the couches had he sprung, had not Deidamia, watchfully giving the sign to summon all her sisters, left the banquet, clasping him in her arms. Yet still he lingers, looking back at the Ithacan, and goes out from the company, the last of all. Ulysses, indeed, leaves and said, somewhat of his purposed speech, yet adds a few words. But do thou abide in deep and tranquil peace, and find husbands for thy beloved daughters, whom fortune has given thee, goddess-like in their starry countenances. What awe touched me anon and holds me silent? Such charm and beauty joined to manliness of form. 
the sire replies. What if thou couldst see them performing the rites of Bacchus, or about the altars of Pallas? Ay, and thou shalt, if perchance the rising south wind prove a laggard. They eagerly accept his promise, and hope inspires their silent prayers. All else in Lycomedes' palace are at rest in peaceful quiet, their troubles laid aside, but to the cunning Ithacan the night is long. He yearns for the day, and brooks not slumber. Scarce had they dawned, and already the son of Tydeus, accompanied by Agertes, was present, bringing the appointed gifts. The maids of Cyrus, too, went forth from their chamber, and advanced to display their dances and promised rites to the honoured strangers. Brilliant before the rest is the princess, with Pallides her companion. Even as beneath the rocks of Etna in Sicily, Diana and bold Pallas and the consort of the Elysian monarch shine forth among the nymphs of Enna. Already they begin to move, and the Ismenian pipe gives signal to the dancers. Four times they beat the cymbals of Rhea, four times the maddening drums, four times they trace their manifold windings. Then, together, they raise and lower their wands, and complicate their steps, now in such fashion as the curetes and the vowed Samothracians use, now turning to face each other in the Amazonian calm, now in the ring wherein the Delian sets the Laconian girls a-dancing, and whirls them, shouting her praises, into her own amicly. Then, indeed, then, above all, is Achilles manifest, caring neither to keep his turn nor to join arms. Then, more than ever, does he scorn the delicate step, the womanly attire, and breaks the dance, and mightily disturbs the scene. Even so did Thebes, already sorrowing, behold Pentheus, spurning the wands and the timbrels that his mother welcomed. The troop disperses amid applause, and they seek again their father's threshold, where, in the central chamber of the palace, the son of Hydeus had long since set out gifts that should attract maidens' eyes, the mark of kindly welcome and the guerdon of their toil. He bids them choose, nor does the peaceful monarch say them nay. Alas, how simple and untaught, who knew not the cunning of the gifts, nor Grecian fraud, nor Ulysses many wiles. Thereupon the others, prompted by nature and their ease-loving sex, try the shapely ones or the timbrels that answer to the blow, and fasten jeweled band around their temples. The weapons they behold, but think them a gift to their mighty sire. But the bold son of Aeacus no sooner saw before him the gleaming shield, and chased with battle scenes, by chance too it shone red with the fierce stains of war, and leaning against the spear, then he shouted loud and rolled his eyes, and his hair rose up from his brow, forgotten were his mother's words, forgotten his secret love, and Troy fills all his breast. As a lion, torn from his mother's dugs, submits to be tamed, and lets his mane be calmed, and learns to have awe of men, and not to fly into a rage, save unbidden. Yet, if but once the steel has glittered in his sight, his felty is forsworn, and his tamer becomes his foe. Against him he first ravens, and feels shame to have served a timid lord. But when he came nearer, and the emulous brightness gave back his features, and he saw himself mirrored in the reflecting gold, 
he thrilled and blushed together. Then quickly went Ulysses to his side and whispered, Why dost thou hesitate? We know thee. Thou art the pupil of the half-beast Chiron. Thou art the grandson of the sky and sea. Thee, the Dorian fleet, thee, thy own Greece awaits with standards uplifted for the march, and the very walls of Pergamum totter and sway for thee to overturn. Up, delay no more. Let perfidious Ida grow pale. Let thy father delight to hear these tidings, and guileful Thetis feel shame to have so feared for thee. Already was he stripping his body of the robes, when Agertus, so commanded, blew a great blast upon the trumpet. The gifts are scattered, and they flee and fall with prayers before their sire, and believe that battle is joined. But from his breast the raiment fell without his touching. Already the shield and puny spear are lost in the grasp of his hand, marvellous to believe, and he seemed to surpass by head and shoulders the Ithacan and the Aetolian chief. With a sheen so awful does the sudden blaze of arms and the martial fire dazzle the palace hall. Mighty of limb, as though forthwith summoning Hector to the fray, he stand in the midst of the panic-stricken house, and the daughter of Peleus is sought in vain. But Deidamia, in another chamber, bewailed the discovery of the fraud, and as soon as he heard her loud lament, and recognized the voice that he knew so well, he quailed, and his spirit was broken by his hidden passion. He dropped the shield, and turning to the monarch's face, while Lycomedes is dazed by the scene, and distraught by the strange portent, just as he was, in naked panoply of arms, he thus bespeaks him. "'Twas I, dear father, I whom bounteous Thetis gave thee. Dismiss thy anxious fears. Long since did this high renown await thee. Tis thou who wilt send Achilles, long sought for, to the Greeks, more welcome to me than my mighty sire, if it is right so to speak, and then beloved Chiron. But if thou wilt, give me thy mind a while, and of thy favour hear these words. Peleus and Thetis, thy guest, make thee the father-in-law of their son, and recount their kindred deities on either side. They demand one of thy train of virgin daughters. Dost thou give her? Or seem we a mean and coward race? Thou dost not refuse. Join then our hands, and make the treaty, and pardon thy own kin. Already hath they to me been known to me in stolen secrecy. For how could she have resisted these arms of mine? How once in my embrace repel my might? Bid me atone that deed. I lay down these weapons and restore them to the Pelasgians, and I remain here. Why these angry cries? Why is thy aspect changed? Already art thou my father-in-law. He placed the child before his feet and added, And already a grandsire. How often shall the pitiless sword be plied? We are a multitude. Then the Greeks too, and Ulysses, with his persuasive prayer, entreat by the holy rites and the sworn word of hospitality. He, though moved by the discovery of his dear daughter's wrong and the command of Thetis, though seeming to betray the goddess and so brave a trust, yet fears to oppose so many destinies and delay the Argive war, even were he fain, 
Achilles had spurned even his mother then. Nor is he unwilling to take unto himself so great a son-in-law. He's one. Daedamia comes shamefast from her dark privacy, nor in her despair believes at first his pardon, and puts forward Achilles to appease her sire. A messenger is sent to Haemonia to give Pelias full tidings of these great events, and to demand ships and comrades for the war. Moreover, the Syrian prince launches two vessels for his son-in-law, and makes excuse to the Achaeans for so poor a show of strength. Then the day was brought to its end with feasting, and at last the bond was made known to all, and conscious night joined the now fearless lovers. Before her eyes, Nuors and Xanthus and Ida pass, and the Argolis fleet, and she imagines the very waves, and fears the coming of the dawn. She flings herself about her new lord's beloved neck, and at last, clasping his limbs, gives way to tears. Shall I see thee again, and lay myself on this breast of thine, O son of Iacus? Wilt thou deign once more to look upon thy offspring? Or wilt thou proudly bring back spoils of captured Pergamum and Teucrian homes, and wish to forget where thou didst hide thee as a maid? What should I entreat, or alas, what rather fear? How can I in my anxiety lay a behest on thee, who have scarce time to weep? One single night has given and grudged thee to me. Is this the season for our espousals? Is this free wedlock? Ha! those stolen sweets, that cunning fraud, ha, how I fear. Achilles is given to me, only to be torn away. Go, for I would not dare to stay such mighty preparations. Go, and be cautious, and remember that the fears of Thetis were not vain. Go, and good luck be with thee, and come back mine. Yes, too bold is my request. Soon the fair Trojan dames will sigh for thee with tears, and beat their breasts, and pray that they may offer their necks to thy fetters, and weigh thy couch against their homes. Or Tyndarus herself will please thee, too much belauded for incestuous rape. But I shall be a story to thy henchmen, the tale of a lad's first fault, or I shall be disowned and forgotten. Nay, come. Take me as thy comrade. Why should I not carry the standards of Mars with thee? Thou didst carry with me the wands and holy things of Bacchus, though will fate Troy believe it not. Yet this babe, whom thou dost leave as my sad solace, keep him at least within thy heart, and grant this one request, that no foreign wife bear thee a child, that no captive woman give unworthy grandsons to Thetis. As thus she speaks, Achilles, moved to compassion himself, comforts her, and gives her his sworn oath, and pledges it with tears, and promises her on his return tall handmaidens, and spoils of Ilium, and gifts of Phrygian treasure. The fickle breezes swept his words, unfulfilled, away. End of section 2